all-new, crisp, cool, refreshing Cano Tambos. A complete affordable library of tambourine loops from 50 to 154 beats per minute. Pop the top and add instant life and dynamics to any mix. Used by the top producers, engineers, and recording artists of today. Simply drag and drop. With multiple bit depths and sample rates to choose from, you'll never have to record another tambourine again. Visit canotambos.com. That's C-A-N-O-T-A-M-B-O-S.com and enter promo code Turned Up. One word, Turned Up, for 20% off. Cano Tambos. Uh, bands are more than just bands now. They're they're entertainment entities. Record labels really are no different. They realize that people are swayed more by emotion than the best product. Broadcasting from Nashville, Tennessee, offering a glimpse inside the music industry, shedding light on things they don't want you to know, and exposing some of the industry's biggest secrets. You're listening to the Turned Up Podcast, presented by Real Sound Productions. Here are your hosts, Jake Jones. If you want to be my lover. Shoot. And Robert Venable. What? And who? Mr. Ed. Good morning, Vietnam. Okay, cool. Just kidding. That's great. Um, what a way to welcome people. That, that was beautiful. It worked for Bob Hope. <laughs> it worked for Robin Williams. I miss Robin Williams. So do I. Nanu, nanu. Man, that is sad. That's not what we need to start this episode off with. Jake! What's going on, beautiful human being listening to this podcast? What are you doing right now? If you've, if you've got time to listen to a podcast, you've got time to tweet us. Tell us what you're doing right this second, even if it's really stupid. Right this, where, whenever you're listening to this. If it's a year after it came out, if it's funny. five minutes after this came out. We're going to get a random tweet that just says, sit on the bus. <laughs> and we're going to know why. We just have no idea. <laughs> okay, but this is the beauty of podcasting and part of the hilarity because that does happen every day. In fact, this last week, we got these completely random tweets. Right. And it took me a minute to realize what they were even replying to. Yeah, right. we, had, we had to think back, like, what episode was that? Because it's just a, a, just a reply, just a responding to exactly what we were saying that week. That week. <laughs> um, so yes, please randomly tell us what you're doing right now. I think that'd be funny, assuming it's appropriate. Right. Um, if not, just send us a bunch of like blanks and let us guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Underscores. Uh, what are we talking about today, Robert? Today, we're going to talk about record labels. What even is a record label? And like, if you get a record deal with a record label, I, you're going to be famous, right? Well, of course. And uh, lots of misconceptions about record labels and how they became record labels and what the point of them are and all of the things regarding labels. It's going to be, there's going to be a lot of information, but stay with us because it's really interesting. A lot of people hear the term record label. We hear it, in fact, so often, I'm going to get signed or going to sign a deal um, we hear it so often that we kind of just have this general idea of maybe what it is, but I think you'll be really surprised to find out what a record label really is. Um, and, uh, and, and especially what its role is in today's society. But I want to talk about the role of Mr. Robert Venable sitting across from me. It's a cinnamon roll. Mm. Now I'm just hungry, but you are not a cinnamon roll. I'm not. Although you are just as hot and yummy and as sticky. a cinnamon roll. Oh, no. Yeah. No, you killed it. There. That's weird. That's mm. sorry about that. Uh, Mr. Robert Venable. He is an award-winning producer, engineer, songwriter, drummer, uh, hailing from, I actually don't know where you hail from exactly. And I kind of don't want to know because in my mind, it's just somewhere awesome. But today, heaven, 
That's what my mom said. Did it hurt? I think I might have actually used that pickup line once. Like <laughs> oh, when I was don't fresh on the scene, like, I don't know, fifth grade. I think that was, I mean, you don't have Google at the time, but you look up stuff. I don't know, pick up line books in the library, or I don't know what it is. And no. that was one of them. Fifth grade, right? So, oh, geez, here it comes. Human language was a fairly <laughs> new thing. So, we grunted it, though. I grunted it, and it was interpreted <laughs> Could as we that way. Say that you invented pickup lines? I might have. That's that makes sense. You are that old, um, <laughs> and that cheesy. Fifth grade was a long time ago for you. That's a true statement. Um, <laughs> seriously, the guy is so talented. In fact, I was just thinking today, uh, you definitely are my like litmus test as a producer for the decisions that I make, whether I'm producing or engineering, I think about would Robert do this? What would Robert do? W W R D. We should make bracelets. Um, uh, <laughs> this is a horrible standard to set. You, can, it, it, you are a standard. You're, you're really great at what you do, but you, the thing is you have the clientele and the accolades to prove it. Aww, um, and, uh, and I'm blown away by your talent and skills. Uh, especially as it pertains to, uh, your skills as a morologist. Um, so, uh, something I, I recently found out about you, uh, which is really cool. And I applaud you is your skills in morology. Um, right. also commonly Thank referred you. to as, uh, like professional mourning. Uh, oh. <laughs> now this is something. Didn't know anybody knew about that. Uh, including myself. <laughs> <laughs> Robert is a professional mourner, um, with pricing and options on his website, robertvenable.com. Um, he will read your eulogies for you. He will, he will mourn for you. Um, and, uh, of course, if you don't yeah. know about this, you can definitely Google it. It is a real thing. Uh, How do you and spell it? it's, it's, uh, well, just look up, uh, professional mourning. Oh, I see M O I R. Yep. Morologist. See that now. Um, and, uh, yep. Yep. It's more common in the East. He's been trying to bring it over to the West a lot more. Um, it's very healthy. He'll do it for you. He'll cry. Um, maybe at a birthday party, basketball game, whatever it is, he'll come, he'll come and cry for you on your behalf. I keep menthol, um, Vaseline on hand at all times to put right under my eyelids for tears on demand. Such a a selfless act of you. Well, there is a small upcharge. It's typically a women thing, but, um, as the first male North American morologist, how, like, have you met any opposition or do you find people are very accepting? Hit or miss a lot of times. It's one of those things where. You never know what you're going to get into till you get there. And there's always someone after the service or whatever it may be that comes up to talk to you. And just sometimes it might just be a glare or sometimes it's like, Hey, do you have a card? Yeah. Well, you know, that you happened just, once you were just at the big women's March in DC not too long ago. How was that? I did. I came and mourned for all of the women, um, and had a tent with uh, free peppermints and brochures on how they too can become professional morologists. That is man. I love you. Tearing up right now just thinking about it. No, it's okay. Just give me a minute. Okay. <clears throat> but what is not needing of any kind of mourning whatsoever is your success in this music industry, Jake Jones. So successful, really. Shut up, man. <laughs> should I, where should Have I start? you heard of me? Do you even know who I am? Have you Googled the Jake Jones? I was recognized at church recently, though. Kind of awkward. They, of course, knew who I was, and I did not know who they were until they showed me a picture of me with them. Isn't that weird? I was working at Moe's. But the picture was of you working at Moe's? They recognized me in Moe's. Okay, gotcha. Asked if they could take a picture with me because wow. they were a fan. Okay. And then years later, I'm, I'm at church. One of them is on the worship team. 
after service. And this is not like your first service at this church. You've no, been no, going no. to this church for a while and they've been holding this gem for that long. The, the, the husband comes up to me and is like, do you play guitar? Are you in a band? Okay. And then the wife like pops out behind him. I knew I recognized you. I knew I recognized you. And every time I see you and I think, who is that? And then I looked through my photos on Instagram and I saw the picture of you that we took. The and husband's then, like, keep it cool. I said, keep it cool. Stop it. And she shows it to me. I'm like, oh, that's embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, that's me. I can see you going. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That oh, was cool. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> They're very sweet people, actually. I know. But anyway, that picture was probably taken of you at that Moe's because they were a fan of yours while you played in the nationally touring rock band, We As Human chart topping rock band at that but not only that band as we ascend the number, other chart topping other like literally number one billboard chart topping song that you actually mixed and produced and wrote co-produced and, co-wrote and played guitar i guess co-played guitar actually yeah, we're gonna keep going that way and co-sang on <laughs> right um and you are we're sitting in your ridiculous recording studio with walls of guitar gear and there are awards on the walls for like said billboard charting songs and for uh best rock band of the year best new artist all of those things you just sitting here nodding like go on um a wall of speakers behind you like you are silhouetted by i get made fun of i, I don't know why because i think that's great and it looks cool in pictures and you use them all it's not like you just set them <laughs> right. up like i've got more speakers wheel men kids right i don't know reference I, yeah, it is and that you know that's a whole other podcast anyway besides all that stuff we're also you and i are both uh songwriters and we're writing songs we wrote a cool song together uh, a couple weeks ago i'll play it right now We wrote that one with Michael Whitworth, and that dude is ridiculously talented. He's actually also singing on the track. Man. Sounds like something that should be like in a movie trailer, right? So if you know anybody who needs a movie trailer song, we've got one for you. Um, And uh, besides all this, you have been making quite a bit of money lately as a post-mortem acupuncturist. And I'd love for you just to tell me, like, why? So, I mean, Robert, in today's climate, we discriminate against all kinds of people, whether we mean it or not. And even if we don't mean it, it's not okay. And that doesn't exclude the dead. Um, And much like, you know, us living people, not to say that, that we're different. Right, right, right. Good disclaimer. Um, uh, not to, you know, but us living people, we enjoy acupuncture. It's a thing that uh, it can help with illnesses. It can be soothing and calming. It can just be really good for the soul. Now, obviously, the the post mortem the dead um, don't have illnesses anymore and don't need to be soothed or calmed. So, what does this bring to them? You might say that one might assume, but let me ask you this question, Robert. What is it like to be dead? Is it comfortable? Are you at peace? What What do you think? I guess I don't know because I'm alive. Exactly. So, this so is, they they might be having feelings anyway. Listen, Robert. This is the this is part 
of the discrimination that I'm talking about. This is what's wrong with our nation. I am mourning for you right now. We don't look at everyone as equal, living or dead. That's true. Let's let's not discriminate against the dead. I mean, there's people who do their hair and makeup. That's I guess you're right. Why shouldn't there be acupuncture? So anyway, uh, yeah, I actually make a lot of money. A lot of families are really really getting into this. Um, huh. I I found a, a really great market, um, and I, it's content yeah. like never ending clientele. And the wrap on your van is great that you drive around when you do your mobile services. That's yes, good. that's good. The pink and yellow really pops. It gets a lot of attention. That's how I knew about it. Pulled up to your studio and saw the big pink and yellow van. <laughs> You're ridiculous, Robert. Let's talk about record labels. <laughs> Please do. Let's get into this. We need to start off by actually like defining what a record label actually is. Tell me, Robert, what even is a record label? Well, I mean, literally, it's a sticker on a record. But uh, more than that, what we know it as is a uh, it's basically a company or a brand or a trademark associated with you know the marketing of music recordings and music videos. Uh, sometimes it's also uh, a publishing company, or it could be um, serving as like a pseudo management that manages brands and trademarks, or puts together like all the dots, connects the dots for production, um, putting together the CD or album or whatever, distribution into stores or radio, all the marketing promotion that goes along with that, as well as providing a legal team for all that stuff. Holy smokes! Just a little bit of things. Um, not that music videos are really relevant right now. I mean, they're kind of coming back around online, but not so much like MTV or VH1 or the old TV right. station. Music Watch videos used on. to be as important as a single. It used was a big to be. deal. That was how you brought a song to a whole new medium. Um, but yeah, and, and they also have like the whole developmental team and the team that discovers new music and brings them on the A&R, all sorts of stuff. Um, and uh, there's actually you know a huge hierarchy inside of a label that all have different jobs. So at the top, obviously, is going to be the president. Um, uh, underneath him is the legal department, which they're kind of their own thing. And then business affairs, uh, boring. Um, <laughs> below him is the executive vice president. So he is going to be the hands and feet of the label, um, kind of kind of doing the, the footwork. Um, underneath him kind of falls everything else. A&R, promotion, artist development, marketing, uh, publicity, new media, um, under marketing is sales and art development under promotion is record label liaisons, which are people going out and, and bridging the gap between buyers and, and, uh, radio people and all, you know, any, anything trying to get your, your music out there. Um, so like, if you don't know, A&R stands for artists and repertoire, and we'll get to that here in a minute. Um, the art department does exactly what you think it would do, right? Artist development, um, responsible for planning the careers of the artists and, um, that they have under the label, of course. Yeah. Uh, business affairs, which is all the boring stuff like bookkeeping, payroll and all the financial stuff. Uh, the liaison, um, I already explained the, the bridge between distributors, all that kind of yeah, stuff. Trying to get CDs in the stores. The legal department, which handles all the contracts, like every single contract that the label has to do between like them and the artist and them and other companies and all that stuff, as well as if there are any like legal problems that come up, like having to sue somebody for copyright issues or whatever it may be, like litigation stuff, they handle it all. If you sign, you become very familiar with the legal department very quickly. Right, you'll, you'll know those guys. Um, of course, the new media... Um, their their whole job is to research and kind of be on top of the new uh, aspects of the business as it's growing and changing. Of course, um, you know we've we've got with YouTube and Spotify and all this stuff. Everything is changing. Uh, they do uh, really help promote the artist online. 
Yeah, I, these days for sure. Uh, the promotion department works hand in hand with new media and publicity, but their department's like main purpose is to make sure that the artist is being played on the radio. Uh, publicity, they are uh, helping establish the artist with um, and their image, you know, in the media and billboards and anywhere, you know, interviews, anything you see like that, that's going to be publicity. That makes sense. Uh, sales department, very self-explanatory, basically oversees all the retail aspect of the business. Um, also works with record stores and all the big box stores and the places that aren't actually, as we just talked about, carrying CDs anymore. So I don't know what they're going to do. Right. Well, like even songbooks. Um, and I know that doesn't sound, you know, like a, a huge deal, but uh, if you, you know, you can, you're right. Yeah. You can buy, you know, piano books for guitar tabs and yeah. stuff for all the bands that you've heard um, from church music all the way down to like hip hop and R&B stuff and rock music. So that's kind of the the structure of a record label. That's all the different departments that they have. Um, I do want to talk about, we've heard major labels and indie labels, right. um, obviously two different things. However, I was surprised to find out that there really are only three major record labels, right? Right. We are down to three. Which are uh, Sony, Sony, and then we've got Universal. And, and Warner. And Warner, yeah. yeah. Warner Music Group. But I know what you're thinking right now. You're probably thinking that's not true because I know Island Def Jam and I know Atlantic Records and I know all these huge like sub pop. I know all these labels like why aren't I mean, come on, there are more than three. Those are not major record labels as per per definition. We'll get to that in a second. There's independent record labels, which are really just any label that doesn't fall under one of the big three, which again, we'll get to in a minute. Um, But the that could be a gigantic record label but if they're not owned by sony uh warner or universal then they are technically an independent record label they don't have their own record deal they're independent um yeah right and uh but yeah so that's that's what an indie label is um there are there is something called a sub label and that is a label that is part of the larger uh one of the big three um but trades under a different name. So uh, that's, and we'll get to that here in a second, but that would be more like Atlantic Island, all those, all those ones we mentioned a second ago, um, which are still huge, but right. Uh, still are controlled by an even bigger corporation. Jeez. So yeah. So even though indie labels are any record label, big or small, that isn't controlled by one of the big three, uh, we do still kind of think of indie labels as like uh, putting out indie music as more right. of like a genre, like the no name bands. I mean, to, to, to the radio fans, the no name bands, but if you're a, uh, indie music, um, fan, then you know, all these indie bands that we're, we're talking about, but, right. but yeah. yeah, I mean, even indie bands come out on the major labels, which is kind of backwards. Right. Yeah. I mean, as far as we call independent, as far as we call indie music, even though it's called indie music, they might not be independent, which is kind of backwards. Right. A lot of college stations play indie bands, um, which most of them don't have label deals or have independent deals of some sort, but some of them do. It's become a genre. It's kind it of weird. It has, yeah, indie, independent. What does that mean? We should probably talk about uh, the history of the record label, like a brief history without getting completely just boring with it. But like it, there were labels going back to the 19 like 20s and 30s really um i'm looking at a chart here it looks like back around yeah around 20 1929 1930 uh there was the music publishers holding company 
Decca Records, ARC, HDD. I don't know what they stand for, but um, EMI came a little bit after that, and we EMI was around up until man two thousands. Um, Columbia started somewhere around nineteen, not just shy of nineteen forty. BMG came around in the eighties. Sony came around in the eighties. Warner came around uh, a little after two thousand. Uh, Universal was around the same time, a little before that, uh, late nineties. And, uh, so I'd say from 88 to 99, 1988 to 1999, I should clarify, not, not zero 88 and zero 99 back when I was young. <laughs> uh, but more recently than that, there were actually six major re- record labels known as the big six, which were Warner, EMI, Sony, BMG, Universal, and Polygram. Tell Polygram. Me, tell me one band signed to Polygram. Go. I me have neither. no yeah. idea. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is why Polygram was merged into UMG, uh, which is Universal Music Group. In 1999, which made it the big five. Uh, in 2004, Sony and BMG agreed to merge, and that's when they became Sony BMG. That makes sense. What a clever name. Making the big four. <laughs> and then in uh, 2012, the major divisions of EMI were sold off separately. Like A lot of them went to several different labels, um, but uh, most of it to Universal, and uh, became the big three. I think it's interesting that uh, EMI was owned by Citigroup, like as in the banking so do you think maybe they never paid off all their like investments into it? Like a, like a loan, like, Hey, start your label off, but we still own you like a lien on a house. Kind of maybe. I have no idea. I just think, you know, thinking of banks and stock markets and trading and number stuff, uh, you know, we don't typically uh, think of those things when it comes to music and art, which we'll talk about that later, but, but then come to find out that, you know, these major record labels are really just owned by the same people that, that are running Wall Street. But that's also one of those big things that a lot of people think, um, and we can talk about that maybe in a little bit, where are these record labels basically just suits? Are they just after money and not after music? And we'll, we'll cover that in a little bit. So I'm going to talk about these sub-labels. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we don't look at Atlantic records and think of them as a sub label. We think of them as a major record label, but as we just said, there are only three major record labels and that's it. Yeah. So what are some examples of a sub like, okay. So under like, well, under universal UMG universal music group, um, that means everything from interscope records to Geffen records to a, um, a and M, but like capital, all the stuff is under them, but under interscope is, aftermath and shady was under aftermath it's like there's a huge like pyramid of labels um all under just universal for instance so it goes universal and under that's interscope geffen and am am underneath that is just interscope underneath that is aftermath underneath that is shady wow. which is uh, m&m's sub label so what what like what exactly is an imprint uh well an imprint is really it's just a label an imprint label that calls themselves a label solely for the purpose of marketing and branding. Huh? Uh, they have no business structure. They're not. So it's just a different name. Money. Right. But all operating under the same label or sub label. Right. Well, and, and typically, I mean, sometimes uh, a record label will get bought out by another label, which and I just heard about become an imprint. So the, the bigger label is controlling everything. The imprint just has their name on it. A good example would be like John Mayer. Uh, he was signed to Aware Records, just a small independent record label, and they got bought out by Columbia. Huh. And so they still, you know, still well, said he was signed to Aware because that's for marketing purposes that worked sure. well. It it helped him, you know, 
Um, but many people didn't know for a while that really Columbia was controlling everything until he came out with Hmm. his second big record. I think that just has Columbia written all across the front of the CD and Columbia is under Sony, uh, which is correct. So really quick fun fact. Um, do you know what record label actually means? Why it's called record label? I do. That's because you told me 20 minutes ago. It's really cool. So when the record label was, uh, you know, was first invented, um, it was literally a label to go on records, help people identify, uh, the, the artist with a group of artists or a business that was the label. So it's technically a record label company. It's a company that puts their label on records huh. and, and does this stuff for them. Yep. Um, and so that's where Man. the name record label first came from. So how do we get our band signed by a record label? So we kind of have this, this idea that you go play a show and, you know, I've talked about this before on the podcast, some person happens to be just stopping by to grab a drink and he sees your band and, and thinks you're amazing. You know, I want you to, to, I want to sign you to my record label. Right. And, uh, you know, that happens in movies. I'm sure it has happened. Um, it happens very rarely these days in real life, but yeah, yeah it happens almost never now. Um, really the person who is going to find your band one way or another is someone called the A&R guy or gal artists in repertoire artists in repertoire. So, um, really their, their job is to be a liaison between the label and the artist, the label and the manager. Um, and, or, or it could be through, you know, a publishing company as well. Right. Um, but as it pertains to a, a record label, um, they, their whole job is to scout, yeah. And then once they've scouted a band and, and found them, then they act as the the bridge between the label and the artist. Um, and they have a lot of responsibilities. I wonder if they get paid per artist or if they are just on salary. I have no idea. Like if there's a commission, like you need to bring, well, maybe there are goals. You need to bring in X amount of artists per year, or maybe it's like you don't get paid unless you bring in an artist or something. I don't know. Or right. if they get paid off of how much, how well the artist um, does. Hey, I, I really have no idea. Um, I do know that they're typically younger. Um, they're people that a get along with bands um, and B also have a good taste in music because that's part of their job is to know kind of what, what the market wants, what's popular right, right now, as well as uh, be able to recognize an artist's marketability. Right. Um, they're like, all- yeah. Like if the label says, Hey, we need a band that sounds like Ed Sheeran and your A&R person's like, what? Ed who? <laughs> Like, like Mr. Ed, <laughs> like it's probably not going to have a very long career. Not relevant. <laughs> um, yeah, you definitely need someone who's relevant, which actually we could talk about this real quick. One of the misconceptions I was going to talk about later is, um, you know, that, that record labels are only suits. They're only there, um, for money and not for the music. But have you ever tried to apply for a job at a record label, um, as an A&R rep? They want people, like you said, who are really deep into music knowledge, really deep into what's current and trending and popular and what the next wave might be um, in order to see that potential and to find that talent rather than like, Oh, I love music and this is cool. Um, actually when we as human was signed to Atlantic, our A and R guy, a guy named Steve Robertson, he goes by Steve O um, and he is very well regarded in the industry. 
Um, he does A&R for Shinedown and Paramore as well as some, some other artists too, but never heard of him. Um, <laughs> he, uh, before he was working A&R for Atlantic records, he was a program director at a radio station. So he had a very good idea of music, music trends. He had to pay very close attention for that job, um, to what people wanted to hear. Cause it was his job to pick which songs were going to go on his radio station. If he picked right. bad songs, nobody would listen. Ratings would go down. They wouldn't make advertising money. And he'd get fired. He get fired. Um, so yeah, that's a huge part of what they do. Um, A&R reps are authorized uh, to offer a deal to an artist um, on site or, you know, after a show or something. However, it's not the deal. It's a kind of a, it's called a demo deal. So it's like a binding contract saying, uh, you know, we're going to sign you or at least we want to, hey, you can't sign with anyone else right now. Um, and then that's when, the attorneys start duking it out and going over yeah. the, the major contract. Um, boring legalese. Boring legalese, uh, which I would say any artist who is looking at signing a deal really should brush up on their uh, <laughs> legal jargon as well as it doesn't matter if your manager tells you he's got a great attorney for you. You need to lawyer up yourself, man. You need to find your own attorney. Um, we were blessed. The record label gave us a substantial amount of money to go find our own attorney and we didn't. We trusted someone else to find that attorney for us, and it did not go well for us. Way that, to go. In that respect. That was your previous band, right? Yeah, previous band. Because I don't know anything about this in our current band. <laughs> yeah. No. As we ascend, we are, we are doing awesome, actually. We're doing very well. Yeah, we are. Um, they also oversee the recording process. Um, they go in and help pick the songs. They make sure that the songs before you go into the studio are all good. Uh, they're good at, you know, they'll, they'll help pick the producer. They'll find good songwriters. If you need help writing it, or if you want to have other songwriters, write your songs, it's pretty common. And again, these people are, their whole job is to recognize talent and know what it takes to get on the radio or to sell records. That's their whole existence. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so once the record's close to being done, they also will listen through the songs, make sure, Everything is going like it should, making sure the songs are turning out right. Um, you know, because if they're not, you know, he has his boss who's going to be like, these songs suck. What the heck? You let this come out of our label? Right. And the label, the A&R execs, like they don't have, in all cases, the final, final say in what makes the record. A lot of times you'll see a credit on a record um, called the executive producer, which is not the necessarily, in most cases, isn't the producer on the record. It's the person who's paying for it or the person in charge of the person who's paying for it. A lot of times it would be um, someone like the executive vice president of a record label or the record company president or someone above the A&R, like their boss. In, a, in our case, it was our manager and John Cooper were the two executive producers on our record. Yeah, John Cooper, the singer for Skillet. So when you see an executive producer credit, the person usually was not in the recording studio during the production part. They didn't produce, they didn't say, hey, play this, play this. They literally just have the final say on, yep, that'll work. Yep. And they get executive producer credits. That's totally right. They also help pick singles for marketing. They'll listen to the record and say, this, you know, I think that this would be a good first song to put out on the radio or second song to put out on the radio. Whatever songs are going to get promoted. But like with what, today is like where we are right now in the world and um civilization as we know it everything's online everybody's putting out their own stuff on youtube everybody's got a website everybody's got a twitter with a million fans and uh, instagram videos and 
all of this stuff. How how is an A and R rep's job secure? I mean, is, is it? It's not. A uh, and R uh, reps are actually a dying breed. Um, the The problem really is that uh, before you know, our label needed someone to go out and discover talent. It was not readily available. You, they might've had to have, you know, said, Oh, I heard about this band that's going to be playing down at 12th and Porter. Yeah. Um, and I've heard they're really good. I want to go check them out. I keep thinking of like this scene. Um, if you've ever seen straight out of Compton, um, if you're old enough to see straight out of Compton <laughs> legally, um, or have parents that are good slash bad parents to let you watch that. <laughs> um, there's a scene where they're there for NWA and that's like, you see how the whole like record label management thing kind of comes into play. And that's what I'm picturing right now with A&R reps being at shows. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, a lot of times will still go to a show. Um, but nowadays if I'm an A&R rep and I want to get a good feel for a band and whether there's someone that we might like to sign, I can simply go to their Facebook page. I can see videos of them live. I can see their music videos. I can see, uh, you know, I can hear all their music. I can see how they conduct themselves and get a pretty good idea of what they're like. Right. I can follow all the individual members to see if they're people that, you know, I would want to work with. Right. And um, even as producers, you and I, um, there are times where we're solicited for business a lot. Like, hey, we want to work with you. Um, I will go to YouTube and search for live videos of them performing to see what their real talent is. Granted, they could be playing to tracks, but you can see how much heart they put into it. You can see, you can kind of tell what they're really playing, what they're not, um, rather than watching a music video or their iTunes tracks they've sent you that they've been doctored and right. edited to crap previously. It's so true. Um, and so with, with all that being said, a label doesn't necessarily need to hire someone to go out and do that for them. Um, and, you know, or at least the amount of people that they need to do that is a lot smaller. Right. So A&R jobs are getting, getting slashed. Saving them money, too. Less, less salaries, commissions they have to pay. Yep. Man. Okay, so labels are morphing. Like, the sign of the times. Um, internet's a thing. Uh, bands are more than just bands now. They're, they're entertainment entities. They're making videos. They're making clothing brands. They're making lipsticks. They're making... Uh, television shows and cartoons even bands are all around 360 degrees everything i think of metalocalypse um <laughs> so you said 360 degrees yeah a complete circle they're everything much like 360 deals that labels are offering yep i like to say 360 because they get you coming and going <laughs> they get you from both sides all the way around they've got you um that's also called multiple rights deals um and it's basically where the label gets a percentage of everything you're doing, not just the music sales. Um, and it's a relatively newer concept. And some people say it's a cheaper concept, not cheaper money wise, but cheaper integrity wise, where like this is kind of a cheapskate way of, you know, getting some extra cash out of something that you don't really have a say in getting cash in. Um, so like digital sales, things from iTunes and whatever, tours, concerts, and live performances, uh, all of your merchandise stuff, which is really the only place bands are making money for themselves right now um, under traditional labels um, is their merch sales. Uh, endorsement deals, like if you get a t-shirt deal or Nike shoes or whatever, um, they're going to get percentages of that as well. Uh, appearances in movies and TV shows. I mean, if you write a song, everything, ringtones even, anything the band has something to do with, they're going to be taking their percentage off. 
so in a typical 360 deal, the advances might be a little more lucrative because of this. However, the issue is, as you can see right away, that there's this company that's getting a percentage of absolutely everything you're doing. Um, and the reason is because a label shells out money for you. They give you like a loan, like a bank loan. They give you money to record your album, to make those music videos, to have your CDs pressed if you're doing that. Um, whatever it is that you do, uh, they're, they're investing in that and they're trying to make a return on their investment. Well, when, when songs and music was selling really well, uh, that was not the riskiest investment because if they found they, you know, the A&R guy did a good job making sure that he found a really good, talented artist. Yeah. Then, uh, then they felt pretty confident that they would be able to sell enough, uh, albums to recoup their investment. But now, you know, they might spend two, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars, a million dollars um, on their band or artist, and they don't know if they're going to make that money back. And it doesn't matter how hard the artist works if if people aren't buying the music. And so now they do know that when that band or artist goes on tour, you are going to sell CDs, you are going to sell shirts because those we know those are still up; those are still just as popular as they ever were. Uh, and so they figured out, well, we can make. Um, you know, we can make money on that stuff too, to help recoup these costs and to make money ourselves as a business. They're kind of justifying it as selling themselves. These labels are selling themselves as pseudo managers. Like, Hey, we're going to push this and this, the whole band branding thing, right? They want your name in the TV shows. They want your ringtones out there. They want your shirts and they're going to help you push that because they're making money off of it, obviously. So they're telling you, Hey, it's a 360 deal because we're going to push you 360 degrees everywhere. We want you to be in everybody's uh, eyesight, no matter where, where they're looking. Um, like a good idea or representation of that is the Pussycat Dolls. I mean, they were everywhere and on TV and in movies and like you might not know a single song they sang. Too bad their music wasn't any good. <laughs> um, but but you you know the name and you know that they were a band. Um, sing one of their songs right now, Jake. <clears throat> If you want to be my love. Hi, this is Seth Mosley, and I got a huge announcement for all of you songwriters out there. These Song Chasers commercial songwriting courses now available, and you can get it for a special deal at turneduppodcast.com slash Seth, just like my name, S-E-T-H. This is a comprehensive course in commercial songwriting for anyone who wants to be a part of writing a hit song. Again, go over to turneduppodcast.com slash Seth. Everything you need to know about commercial songwriting, turneduppodcast.com slash Seth. Wrong. That was the Carpenters. Ah, shoot. I know. They're new. It sounded familiar. Hand in hand. Um, a, a, another actually great example of a, of a band that signed a 360 deal was, and you know them, they're friends of yours. We just talked about them. Paramore. Oh, yeah. So, and I love Paramore as an example for how record labels work for a lot of reasons. I didn't know they had a 360 deal. So that's why I'm like, I'm trying to think of who you were talking about. Yeah. In fact, they were one of the first. So that gives you a good idea of how old 360 deals are. Uh, Nowadays, uh, any new or younger artists, if it's your first deal, you're getting a 360 deal. Yeah. If you're signing with a sub label. Um, So what I thought was really interesting with Paramore, uh, they were in high school. Uh, from what I understand, Haley was like 15 or 16. And uh, and the the trend back then, Fall Out Boy was just blowing up, um, was uh, indie labels. That was what was so popular. It was like Fueled by Ramen was a big deal. 
And so what did Atlantic do? They bought out Fueled by Ramen right. and kept it as an imprint, as an indie label, even though it wasn't indie. Right. They <laughs> Not were, at that point. They were really hush-hush to try to make sure that it looked indie. They really took their time developing the band. Because it was a 360 deal, uh, they wanted to make sure that they were going to have longevity yeah. and that they were going to be able to have the staying power that they needed to, especially because the 360 model was still so new. Um, and uh, yeah, and so um, all of it, you know, it was a little, little deceptive. It was, uh, you know, them trying out this 360 model. Man, when you sign one of these deals, 360 or not, you're signing a record label deal, right? Um, you're signing your life away, right? I mean, what kind of control do they have? Where does this, where is the line drawn? Where can you still be creative? Where can you still live a normal life or can you? Right. Well, of course, any smart business, especially a record label, is they're going to craft a deal and then offer it to an artist. And they're going to craft the deal. They're going to write those contracts out in their own favor. That's just kind of I mean, good business, I suppose. Anytime you're offered a contract deal, it's always going to be slightly to their favor, if not greatly to their favor. Because they're expecting a rebuttal or a counter offer, um, or you just leave it. You don't need us. What I mean, who are we? Just a major record label. <laughs> you obviously don't know what you, what's good for you. I don't know. Especially with newer artists, they'll control everything from the lyrics to the way the music sounds to uh, the artwork, the way the band looks, everything. Because they don't know if this is going to sell. They don't. The band has not been tested on their label, and so they'll they'll sometimes try to take a lot of control. Sometimes they kick members out of the band or say, hey, singer, you're great. Your lead guitarist, great. Your drummer and bass player, replaceable. And then they replace them. Yep. Um, and then, I mean, I, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus here, but there are some huge, huge bands that if you're listening to this podcast, you've heard them, you know them, uh, and you may even know their members. Those were not their members when they signed their deal. They got replaced because the label said, your members suck. Man. And uh, and, they, and sometimes it's not even if their talent's there or not. It's the way they look. Yeah. I, it, honestly, it's that superficial. It's on that level. It's like, hey, your bass player needs to drop 60 pounds um, by two months from now or else he's gone. Yep. It's so true. Yep. Uh, in fact, I actually even remember uh, one of our showcases. We were in New York City and uh, I had put on some weight. I had put on, it was like January. So I had just, just coming out of Thanksgiving and Christmas. Had I had your winter coat on. Had my winter coat on. And, uh, and Justin Forshaw has always been uh, slender and lean and looks yeah. awesome. Um, Goals. And the, the a and, one of the A&R guys that was in the room walked up to him. And the first words out of his mouth were not, you're such an incredible guitarist. You're so good. Which he is. He's ridiculous. He is. Their first words were, man, you really have a great rock look about you. Just your body type and shape. You really look like like a, a guitarist. It's like that's that's where their wow. focus was. Yeah. You'll sell. Um, <laughs> and maybe he was saying that because a lot of times guys who are that good spend years in their basement, have no idea how to dress. <laughs> a they, basement without a mirror. Right. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know why, you know, but. Or windows. But yeah, the, uh, you know, of course, depending on the structure of the contract, uh, a label might also have the ability to set the amount of money that their artists can make. Um, like a threshold? I've heard of situations with bands and labels where the bands don't make any money because that's what the label says. Not going to throw any examples out there. Right. Yeah. 
and they could probably like go get jobs at Moe's or something. While, while obviously an ideal deal, an ideal record deal is going to be mutually beneficial to the artist and the label. Um, if it's not, it can become contentious very quickly, no matter how nice everyone is, no matter how mm. hip your A&R guy is. Um, it can, it can uh, become pretty rough when the artist realizes like, wait a minute, we're not making any money. And you hear those stories. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, the more successful an artist gets, the easier it is to be able to renegotiate right. um, his deal and say, you know, hey, you had too much control during that first album. And, and uh, you know, those deals are called progressive deals, yeah. meaning that every album cycle, um, you know, you renegotiate your deal potentially. Right. And if you're huge, like Beyonce or Taylor Swift or somebody, they're obviously calling more of the shots now and getting to pick and choose what they kind of get to do um, because they've kind of earned it in the industry. But like you were saying, if you start to push back against, like if it becomes a contentious relationship with between the band and the, the A&R rep or the label, um, that's not a spot you want to be in because the label will shelf you if they're mad enough. Shelfing. What does that mean, Robert? Well, if you're done with something, you put it on the shelf and it just sits up there and collects dust. Uh, much like your musical career could do if you're shelved as a band on a label. Um, so you've signed a contract with them, let's say for five albums, which um, used to be a pretty common deal. Uh, you have to put out five albums within um, either a time limit or just before you're out of your contract. And so, and again, they get to prove the songs on it, by the way. So you don't just get to put together here are 10 songs. That's an album. They're like, nope, that one's not good enough. Right. So you're putting together five albums that they approve. Um, so that, that's, that's the length of your deal, right? So let's say you're in the middle of this deal. You, you make them mad. They're like, we're shelving you. Like, well, we put out this record. Like, well, we're not going to push it out yet right now. We're going to hold on to this. The market's not ready for this third album of yours. So we're just going to put it right here and just wait a little bit. It might come around. We'll see. Maybe. Uh, um, which means it's like cutting your hours at a restaurant. If you work at a restaurant job. It's forcing you to quit. It's kind of forcing you to like not have any income anymore. And the thing is, with with uh, you know with a record deal, there are sunset clauses and certain things where once you're out of your deal, they still make money on your stuff. They still own your masters for X amount of time or forever. Um, yeah, and the sunset clause that you're talking about is you know once your contract's up, they still make money off of you because they say, hey, we created this brand, we created you. So any success you have is because of us. Um, so even if you go with a new label or management or something after us, we created this and they're making money off of everything we've spent time making. So we want a percentage of that. Yep. And that's what the sunset clause is. Exactly. So, um, but all that said, if, if the relationship really goes south, say you do something really bonehead and your label can't work with you, but you owe them a lot of money, um, something they might do is shelf you indefinitely until your contract expires, statute of limitations. Um, and what that will prevent you from doing is going and signing with someone else because you're still under contract with that label. It will keep you from being able to release a new record. It will yep. keep you from being able to do anything um, yep. because they still have all that ownership over you until, until that, that contract expires. And a lot of times... Um, to get out of it once those statute of limitations have been reached, uh, a label is not just going to let you go. They're going to want right. to say, no, we have you under contract and you have to hire an, a lawyer and bring it before a judge for the judge to say, 
know the contract's expired and that costs a lot of money and labels know that. So when you sign a deal, we should just talk about this real quick. Uh, a lot of times you'll get what's called an advance as an artist. Um, you'll get some money right up front. So you can buy new equipment so you can like, it's like a bonus, a signing bonus. So you can, whatever you need to do um, with that money. And they might tell you, Hey, you might need to do this. Here's some money to do that. But you get some money up front before the royalties start coming and in. And it's personal money. I mean, that's, you know, for us, the idea was here's some money to live on while you're recording right. your record. Or, yeah, or starting this tour if you already have a record that they bought out or whatever it might be. Um, here's your advance. But a common misconception about that is, let's say the band flops. Like, oh, man, we poured all this money into you. We gave you $100,000 signing bonus because we were in the mid-90s and had a lot of money as a record label. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, we expected huge things out of you, but huge things never happened. The, the market just didn't receive you as well as we thought they would. Um, the misconception is that now the artist has to pay back that $100,000. Well, in most cases, apparently not. Really? And I, I was know that. under the understanding that you did. And I think I've probably given people that wrong information that you have to. But um, upon further research, and um, again, all contracts are negotiable, so maybe not in all cases, but in most cases, the label just eats that. It's a tax write-off. Um, so they're like, hey, we thought you were going to be really huge. We gave you that money. And if, if the album sales don't come in to start recouping that money, um, then they just eat it. Wow. But I mean, obviously, if you're making the money and the albums are selling, they're going to pay off that advance with that recoupment with those um with those royalties but if it's not coming in nope we know that the music industry is changing always uh the way that people listen to music is changing um you know who would have thought that that uh a service like spotify would become more important than getting your music on the radio right um that so your spotify man. streams are more important than your your weekly ads and spends um, but that's the reality of the world we live in. Everything is changing. And a big problem, I think, that, that everyone, I, at least inside the music industry, is saying, um, but record labels aren't getting with the program. They're not changing with the, they're not changing with the times. Yeah, and that's, a lot of people say that's because, I mean, that's why they're shrinking. That's why they're consolidating, and that's why they're only down to three major labels now, because the industry um, is changing, and they're not. But... Why? I mean, will they? Do you think they will? Uh, well, let me tell you, Robert. Tell me. Why record labels will never change. You don't think they will? Um, I don't. And here's why. Uh, at least not in... No. They, they have something and it's working. They're still making money hand over fist. They're still signing artists. They're still... I mean, the 360 deal... Uh, unless you're a, a huge artist, well-established and have a huge fan base, which some people do, but the market's so saturated, they're few and far between. Um, unless that's the case and you're some sort of freak anomaly, a 360 deal is a terrible deal. Yeah, It's not going to help you. You already have no money. And then this company is going to come in and take a percentage of what you have, <laughs> um, you know, what money that you are trying to make. So, um, but I guess it depends what your goal is. It does. Well, real quick, I want to talk about something, um, and and really it's it's looking at purpose versus product. Okay, go ahead. And what I mean by that is uh, we see companies like Apple and Nike, even Whole Foods, um, when you see their marketing and you see the way that they, they portray themselves to the consumer, 
Yeah. Um, it's, it's emotion almost. It's totally emotion. Like Apple makes you feel good. Like, look at these happy people. Right. Nike, like, man, look at these athletic people and how we can run faster with these shoes and the whole foods. Like, look at these healthy people. Right. I mean, you know, even whole foods, they're not selling organic food. They're selling a conscience. They're selling you this idea that if you buy food somewhere else, it's not going to be as good for you. And it's not going to be as good for the environment as if you buy from whole foods, Nike, um, you know, if you buy their shoes, you, you are inspired and you, you know, you feel like you can do more. You look better. The brand has a recognition behind it. Athletes, you know, are wearing those. So you should too. The fact that there is an Apple versus Android, you know, an iPhone versus Android debate in and of itself is proof that Apple has done a good job of selling people on being a part of something. They're a part of a group (laughs) of people. And sometimes that group of people doesn't have a great name, depending on if you're an Android fan. <laughs> right. I think I think we're called sheep, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I am a uh, an Apple fan. I've got all Mac products, and I have an iPhone sitting right next to me. I'm looking at mine right now. Um, and so record labels really are no different. They realize that people are swayed more by emotion than the best product. You know, I can. For the same amount of money, I can get a Windows computer that can run twice as fast. Uh, I can customize it. I can change out the parts. You know, if one part of my computer goes bad, I can just go online and buy that part. By all means, that seems like it would make it a better product. And I, there are reasons why I use a Mac um, over Windows as it pertains to the work that I do. But right. Um, but all that being said, uh, you know, when you open up your MacBook Pro you're ready to write that next song. You're ready to make that hit, whatever it is. Um, <laughs> and so labels, labels know that, that those, that's what moves people, and especially artists who are typically already very emotional people. Um, and for that reason, uh, you know, it's the idea of being signed, of getting signed, air quotes here, um, it comes with this prestige, this idea yeah. that you're successful because you got signed. And they do a good job of perpetuating that yeah. and, and really um, kind of getting artists caught up in the allure and the dream and the, you know, the big grand picture of it all that oftentimes they'll slip in, uh, you know, a, a clause or two or a thousand in your <laughs> 300 page contract yeah. that might bind you to something that, you know, 10 years down the road when, when that shine two years down the road when that shine is kind of worn off that you realize, wait a minute, um, you kind of wake up from that dream because you were so blinded by, by the glare of, Hey, we're getting a deal guys. High five. Right. And I mean, if, if you're not in the music industry or even if you are, how many of you have a friend or a, a coworker or the son of a friend or the daughter of, of a family member, somebody, you know, or you are acquainted with that's like, Oh man, they got a deal. Did you hear that? They just signed a record deal. And then instantly you think success. They are going to be successful because they signed a record deal. Yeah. I mean, if you think like if I go to church and, hey, have you heard of little so-and-so? She just signed a record deal. And like now where I'm at in my music career and like my knowledge of the I'm like, so? <laughs> right. Um, but had I not been in the music industry and I heard that little so-and-so just signed a record deal, oh my goodness. Good for her. She's, Wow. Like, we should go get pictures with her now. Don't don't forget to be her friend. 
Right. Well, you had this really great analogy earlier. Um, and I want you to share that again because it was so good uh, talking about a record deal because what people don't realize is, and, and maybe people do realize, but um, you know what a lot of people don't realize, especially getting caught up in the emotion of it, is that a record label is, it's just a business entity that's there to help the artist achieve their end goal. But too often, I know you get this, I get this, uh, you know, when we're working with artists in the studio, especially new younger artists who are just, maybe it's their first project, you ask them, so what's your end goal with this? Where, where are we going with this? And their right. goal is to get a record deal. And that doesn't sound weird on the surface, but your analogy really put it in perspective. That's true. I mean, we hear that all the time um, that they want to get signed, but here's the deal. I mean, that's not the end goal. That shouldn't be getting a, a label deal is like being the end goal. It's like saying, okay, I'm a really good chef, right? I make the best uh, seafood in town. So I'm going to start a seafood restaurant. But my end goal is if I, if I get a loan, I've made it. Like if I can go into bank of America right now and get a loan, I have hit the jackpot. That's like saying, that's the same as saying if I get a label deal, I've hit the jackpot because that shouldn't be your end goal. Your end goal should be like, Hey, I want to uh, get my music on the radio and into CD players um, of all 50 people who still own CD players and uh, (laughs) onto iPods everywhere. And I want to start being able to support my family off of nothing but my music sales. That's the end goal. How do you get there? If you need a label deal to help you with that, that could be like a, you know, a vessel halfway between there, but the same with a seafood chef um, starting a restaurant. The restaurant should be the end goal to make good food in your own restaurant, but you might need a loan to get there. Um, so saying, hey, if I get that loan, I've made it. Doesn't that, make that, any that, sense. No sense at all. It's like, well, you, what are you going to do with that loan now? And the thing is, the bank is going to come knocking saying, yeah, okay, we gave you a loan to open a restaurant and you're saying to the bank, oh, I thought you were going to open the restaurant for me. Right. I thought you were going to start putting me in touch with all your other restaurant friends and the builders. And I was just going to make seafood, but thanks for the money. Well, in the same way that a bank's, they're going to look at your credit. They're going to look and see, you know, have, how, how many restaurants have you tried to, have you tried to open before and right. failed? You know, if you, if you're a sucky restaurateur, <laughs> then the bank's probably not going to give you a loan for, uh, for opening a restaurant. But yeah. it's, it's that's such a great analogy because again the it's it's this um this kind of grand idea this beautiful sticker that we've put on the word record label that that really kind of fools people into that 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 is the biggest misconception about record labels is that um that they are they are a sign that you've made it because I can promise you right now that there are lots and lots of bands that you have never and will never, ever, ever, ever hear of, not even in the most obscure place ever. Sometimes not even while trying to find them. You could try Googling them and you won't find them. That had or have record deals with big name record labels. And, uh, and so, you know, just Shark Tank is another really great oh, example. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's a great example. Um, so I've been watching a lot of Shark Tank recently. It's addictive. It's so good. Um, and a record label and artist relationship is much like the entrepreneurs to the to the investors. The sharks. The sharks. Um, where as, as an artist, you are the entrepreneur 
and the sharks are the record label. You come in and you have your music. That's your product that you've invented and you present it. And if it's really good, if it's really good, um, and you've done all the footwork, you, you've got all your ducks in a row, you, you're smart with your marketing, and maybe you've already sold some units of this cool new blender thing, um, <laughs> then, then you know the investors, the sharks are going to look at it and say, ooh, I see an opportunity to make money uh, with your product. And so then they'll pitch their expertise, their connections, and they'll say, hey, I'll work with you um, if you want to form a deal. And, you know, and then maybe two, three or all the sharks offer deals and then the person has to choose. It's so much the same with a band. Uh, you know, if it's the equivalent of showcasing, right? Like, yeah. Like you play a show and a whole bunch of A&R people from different labels might be there to, to watch you showcase. Right. Okay. I get it. And as artists, if the artist hasn't done the footwork, especially now when it's so easy, it's so easy to build a fan base online. Um, it's not that difficult. Um, but, but, you know, as, as an artist, if, if they haven't done the footwork, um, haven't built themselves up and they're trying to get a record company to sign them, well, that's not going to, the label's going to be like, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever done anything? You know, just like on shark tank, sometimes I've, it happens where people come in, um, and they're like, oh, that's a really cool product how much have you sold of it? Oh, well, it's, this is still just a prototype. <laughs> the sharks are going to be like, Oh, so you haven't sold anything. You um, have no fans. Right. And, and the thing is, you know, I, and I do see the sharks do this. Uh, maybe it's just so good. This idea that they have, you know, um, it's so good that, that the investors can't pass it up. So what they'll do instead is they'll offer a deal that, is reflective of the fact that they're taking most of the risk because they've not proven themselves and record labels will do the same thing. It's kind of what this 360 deal is. Yeah. It, it, almost the equivalent of a developmental deal, like where they're going to develop you yeah, um, and, and develop your sound and help you like, like, Hey, you guys are really good. You just don't know what you're doing. Um, and we'll take a risk because the music is so great. Uh, and putting you in touch with the best songwriters and producers and we'll like, yeah, 360 deal. We'll brand you. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so labels really are, they're acting investors, um, whether, you know, <laughs> most of them, at least if it's a bigger deal, you know, they are investing money, um, yeah. in some way or another. And, uh, you know, which as an artist, if you're at a point in your career where you need money, um, then that can be a great thing, but just know that you're going to have to give up equity in, in what you do to be able to acquire the finances and the services that the, that the labels offer. Absolutely. And if you can, if you can acquire the finances on your own, where all you need is their services, you can negotiate sometimes a little better deal because they're not putting money out for you. You've got your own money. Um, but think though, they have the connections. They already have, you know, deals in place with target and Walmart and Best Buy. I mean, again, half of those are not <laughs> going to be taking CDs anymore, but um, iTunes and stuff like that, as well as radio promoters and radio stations, and radio networks, as well as TV shows and producers of um, movies and, and soundtrack, uh, you know, music directors and all the people that you need to get into tour directors and equipment companies and endorsement deals. They have connections with all of those. 
which you can do yourself, but they already have that. Again, you're going to sacrifice a little bit of income to pay them to do that um, in your deal. So I mean, we should, I guess, just point blank say, do you need a record deal? Do you need, what would you say, Jake? Like, do you think record labels are a necessity? Uh, yes or no? Man, I think it is 100% a case-by-case scenario. Uh, I think record labels are becoming less of a necessity today. Um, particularly, you know, especially because a big part of what a label does is finances your album. Well, it costs less than ever to make an album, um, or you can do it yourself, mm-hmm. right? And the other thing too is crowdfunding is more and more popular. The thing is a label is going to give you money to make an album in hopes that it will sell enough to earn them the money back plus interest that it took you to make the album. If you can get people up front to say, I'd buy that album and do a good job of marketing yourself on the front end, then they'll give money to a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo or something to make the album that doesn't cost near as much as you're going to pay because just like the insurance business, producers charge labels more to to make a record than they would an independent artist anyway. Right. Um, and uh, and so then they've essentially pre-purchased the album. So you already know how much you're going to sell. You have the money up front. You make the album and then you give it to them. And and now you're solvent. You don't owe anyone anything and no one owns the master to your to your stuff. Except for you. Except for you. Now, the other things that, that uh, labels offer, you know, um, radio promotion. Well, how important is it to get on the radio? It's, it's still pretty important in, in a lot of ways, but at the same time, um, and it might be important to you if that's the end goal is just to get on the radio, independent radio promoters. Yeah, you can do it. Um, there are people who aren't with a record label, but they have great relationships with all the big program directors for all the different markets and and formats of radio. You can hire them yourself if you have the money or again, if you can crowdfund, um, and, uh, you know, or get a loan, um, or just have really good friends. Or just have really good friends. <laughs> and the great thing about getting a bank loan, you know, it's, it's, uh, you still owe the money just like you would with a record deal. But n- again, no one owns your master. So that album starts to really sell. No one is, no one is taking a piece of that pie. Um, but I mean, think about it though, real quick. What bank do you know that you can walk into and say, hey, I need $100,000 because I'm going to make a record? And they're going to go, uh, okay, um, let's talk about this for a second. And how are we going to get paid back? Well, I want to dedicate all my time um, just to making music with this $100,000. And so you don't have a job? Well, you know, you're paying me to make this music. So we're paying your salary. You want to pay us back out of that? Well, no, I'm going to make great music. And, and then I'm going to sell this music and people are going to buy it. And that money is going to pay you back. Um, well, what's your collateral? It's like, so yeah, what are you putting up for this? Have well, you heard my songs? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, so essentially that's a nutshell. What a label is offering you is a loan in black and white terms without all their extra like promotions and distribution stuff that we've already spent the last however long talking to you about. Um, but I mean, you can't walk into bank of America and say, I would like a loan, please. I'm going to make music. Um, and most likely get that loan. You might get a hundred bucks. And again, you know, I mean, you, if, if you're, tried and true. If you've, if you're tested as a musician, as an artist and you have well, a business, maybe yeah. that's making some money. I don't know. I'm just playing devil's advocate. You can get a business loan, um, or a personal loan. I mean, you know, I bet Justin Timberlake could walk into to bank of America. <laughs> like I'd like to make an album and just need $100,000. Like, like, is that all? To like, we show your current checking balance at 14.8 million. Um, you know, sure. We'll do that. But I mean, if you're 
Justin Timberlake, you shouldn't be, well, you should be listening to this podcast, but you shouldn't be questioning this concept. Right. You already know, Justin, (laughs) text me back. (laughs) I've been texting a lot of random numbers, hoping it's yours. So (laughs) I know you've gotten one. (laughs) Oh man. Um, Marketing, right? Sure. It's so simple. Especially these days. You, you know, even, you know, Facebook, you can throw 50 bucks up and have thousands of people. Oh yeah. That see your boost your, your post button at yeah. the bottom. Yeah. Um, so artists nowadays, uh, don't need a label for everything and, and really can go a lot further on their own, um, without it and without having to, to sacrifice the equity in their music and in their albums and in their brand. Um, and it's just, you know, I wish that every young artist could understand and know that record deals can be amazing, but they're amazing for the right artist at the right time. That shouldn't be a goal. And, right. and also record deals are far less uh, necessary um, today than they used to be. I mean, the label used to control the market. They used to decide what people listened to and what was popular. It was they were the gatekeepers. They, the A&R guys found the artists, right. helped craft the album, and helped promote it. And, and, uh, and then you just bought it because that's what you had. That's what was on the radio. That's all there was. Now it's like, I don't like anything on the radio. I'm going to stop listening to the radio. And instead, I'm going to go listen to this Spotify playlist. And, right. <laughs> and that happens. And, then, and guess what? Then the label has to go say, what are these people listening to now? Because right. it's not what we thought they would like. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, that's why looking at the Grammys last year, uh, a huge percentage, if not half of all of the Grammy winners were independent artists. They didn't have record deals. We're like, who is this? I had to Google a lot of them to figure out like, why did this person just win whatever rock band of the year? Best new rock band. Oh, that was awful. I never even heard of them. That was, they were, they were not a rock band. Um, but you know, it's just, it just goes to show. Uh, so when you hear record deal, getting signed, those sorts of terms. Now you have a better idea of what's actually happening, what like, that artist is sacrificing, yeah. what they're gaining. What exactly is happening, what a label deal is. And I think we address several of these misconceptions of, of the industry in um, re- regards to record labels and what they do and what they don't do, um, what they are and what they aren't. Um, so I hope that clears it up. Like Clearasil? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, there you have it. That's it. That's all you got. Um, I did learn something. I, I, I like wrapping up every podcast with like, I learned a lot. What did we learn? What did we learn class? Um, I actually did learn something. Um, I learned that um, the advances that you get from a record label aren't necessarily needed to be paid back if you suck as a musician. I, <laughs> I really did not know that. I thought you were responsible for that, but apparently in most cases you're not. Right. Uh, I actually learned that as well. Um, Don't copy me, Jake. You can't take my answer. <laughs> what did you learn, Jake? Me too. Me, <laughs> me too. <laughs> me learn that too. Take luck. <laughs> take luck if ever you find when you go to take the luck. Mises. Mo- what is this? Uh, Brian Regan. Mini Moose. Moosen. Moosen. <laughs> Man, if you haven't heard Brian Regan... Uh, stand-up comic he's great i saw brian regan in chattanooga i didn't he was good he's funny he's funnier in real life i saw jim gaffigan once that's awesome well no really i uh this was it was a good one it it kind of for me affirmed some some things i thought uh you know from 
being signed and, and yeah. just paying attention, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah. So hopefully if you ever find yourself in a situation where you have an opportunity to sign a record deal, don't just go with the emotional response. Make sure that it's something that your career actually needs and it's not, they're not just offering a bunch of stuff that you could do yourself. You might not need it. And if you think you do need it and that's the decision you're making, shop around, like Jake said, like, like you would for a loan. You're not going to take the very first loan that someone offers you. Um, but maybe if you've shopped for loans for years and you finally get a bank to offer you a loan, maybe you should take that. I don't know. Um, yeah. But yeah, and, and like different loans for different reasons. Like maybe the label's not the best for you. Like you're not going to shop your wooden spoon industry. You're not going to shop your wooden spoon invention to a whole bunch of companies who are only selling metal spoons um, necessarily. But if you go to a wood spoon company and like, this is what we need, that's the deal for you. Yeah. I don't know. Mutually beneficial. Exactly. And that's what it should be. And don't let it be too one-sided, even though it probably will be. <laughs> Well, uh, a huge thank you, of course, to Real Sound Productions. Couldn't do it without you guys. And uh, thank you, Robert, for being beautiful. You just got a haircut, by the way. You look really nice. I got them all cut. Bad jokes. Oh, I only noticed the one. Well, it was a really long one. Thank you, Jake Jones. We did a lot of research, you and I together on this one. Usually we do our independent research, but this one we were sitting in the room together. Like, Let's, let's look at the interwebs. That was fun. Um, I'm very excited about what we have coming up very soon. Uh, taking you, we taking keep talking you about a, it, but not on really an adventure. Talking too much um, about it. We're working on something really cool, uh, so keep staying tuned for that. And uh, of course, you can find any information uh, about us or the podcast or this really cool chart that we're going to post. Yeah. Um, where do we find it? Oh, well, you can find it on all our socials um, across the board. Turned up podcast, so Instagram, Twitter at Turned Up Podcast, or Facebook.com slash Turned Up Podcast, or www.turnedUpPodcast.com. If you're not, <laughs> if you haven't noticed, there's a trend there. It's all just Turned Up Podcast, um, or you can just hit the Googles, hit it, and see what happens. And you can listen to us on all your favorite podcast things. A lot of people don't know that we are on Spotify. Yeah, we're on Spotify. We are on Google Play. If you have an Android device, if you have an iPhone, uh, you can't listen to podcasts on, on through Google Play. But we did get a couple of messages like, can't find you on Google Play. I'm like, are you looking on an iPhone? Because then we're not there. Um, if you have to also, you can't browse their music for podcasts. Oh, that's right. You have to find us under the, the podcast section. Subcategory. Um, but yeah, we are on Spotify. I know that Spotify is huge for podcasts and what a lot of people listen on. So go there. Also, Stitcher. Uh, as well as Overcast, CastBox, yeah, of course the, iTunes. All the things. All the things. But, uh, yeah, oh, wait, thank you for making us the number one podcast in the music charts, uh, iTunes um, podcast charts again. And um, breaking top 50. Uh, overall, for all podcasts in the universe. One of my favorite podcasts is Someone Knows Something from CBC out of Canada. And we actually, we beat them out this week. And I like uh, listening to Gary V, And he actually was right below them. Wow. Yeah. So I'm like seeing that. Like, wow. Mom would be proud. <laughs> <laughs> Your mom hates you. She actually, li- no, she doesn't. She loves me. She listens to every episode too. Hi mom. But yeah, so thank you for, for doing that for us and listening to us and all the new subscriptions and new subscribers, the thousands we have on CastBox and iTunes. Um, we, we see those. So thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. Oh, you know what we haven't gotten in a while? A review. Ice cream. Like on iTunes podcasts. Oh. Um, that has said anything about my age. That is it's a been like a crime. It's been a month. And I look forward to those witty jokes. Oh my gosh. You know what? Right now, <laughs> open up this iTunes. Like the Photoshop battles. Like Photoshop me and then all of a sudden people just like do horrible things with your picture. This is what we're opening the gates to. 
I, Robert, I'm serious. <laughs> this guy was there. Uh, he personally witnessed the the first human uh, as he as he took his upright form. Uh, he was there for that. I remember losing my tail. Yeah, that was oh. a good day. Uh, you kept it actually. It's in your freezer. I saw it. Part of it. Well, on that note, this is Nashville signing out. Peace. Peace.